0: Now. Yeah. Isaac, can you hear me? Yep. Hey. So, mi gente. Hi, Isaac. Welcome. I'm going to get started. Okay, mi gente. Hello, and welcome to Kika's Corner. My name is Kika, and I am your host. The goal for this show is to focus on interesting people. Uh, Good topics, social justice issues, and maybe a scandal or two, but always, 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 whatever we talk about, will always have a New Haven edge. Today, we're going to talk about DACA. It's a topic that's been taking up a lot of airtime and which led in part to a brief government shutdown last weekend. Uh, With me in the studio uh, today is Isaac, a New Haven high school graduate who recently got his degree at CUNY. Isaac is a DACA recipient and an immigrant rights advocate who's been fighting on behalf of DREAMers um, in Washington, D.C. Welcome, Isaac. Bienvenido. So let's get the acronym out of the way first. DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. Uh, It was a program that was started by the Obama administration in 2012 to protect what are known as DREAMers, DREAMers. Uh, Dreamers are young, undocumented immigrant youth who were brought to this country by their parents at a very early age. Under DACA, immigrant youth who were under age 16 uh, when they came to the U.S., had been living here for five years, were at school, already graduated or served in the military and had no criminal history, could apply for DACA status. If approved, you got a work permit and protection from deportation for two years, which was subject to renewal. Because of DACA, approximately 800,000 young immigrant youth um, got protection from deportation, including nearly 5,000 immigrant youth living in Connecticut. Isaac is a DACA recipient. And when the Trump, uh, Trump administration came into power, Uh, Despite their very aggressive efforts to drive an extreme right anti-immigrant agenda, DACA youth were protected at first, with Trump saying that they, quote-unquote, shouldn't be worried about their status. A few months after the election, Trump said, and I quote, we're going to work something out that's going to make people happy and proud. They got brought here at a very young age. They've worked here. They've gone to school here. Some have wonderful jobs, and they're in never-never land because they don't know what's going to happen. And what did Trump and his administration do to, quote-unquote, make people happy and proud? They eliminated DACA last September. Attorney General Sessions delivered a toxic speech and, with a smirk on his face, said that DACA would end in March. Trump later said it was up to Congress to pass a law to provide protection for DREAMers, and ever since then, legislators have been trying. But what is blocking them? The Trump administration. Stephen Miller, a well-known white supremacist, has been leading Trump's immigration efforts and doing everything he can to derail any effort to pass a law to protect DREAMers. Never mind that the majority of legislators support DREAM Act legislation and that 87% of Americans also support DREAM Act legislation to protect young people. So what is life like for a DACA youth now? What are their fears? What are their hopes? And what are their dreams? What is next And what people can, and what can people do to help? I'm going to turn to Isaac now to help answer these questions. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Thank you. So tell me That's a little bit initial. about your journey to the United States. How did how did you get here and how old were you?
1: When I first arrived to the United States, I was um, only 13 years old. came here to reunite with my mother after three years. She arrived to the United States three years prior to that um, in order to get some money and pay some debt that we have back at home. Uh, things did not go as planned. and. Um, Three years later, she's in, for me, in we United after three years being separated.
0: And tell me how you got here and how, um, what your journey was like.
1: Um, it was hard. It was hard at first. Um, we, I didn't know, I crossed the border. I was only 13 years old. Uh, I was old enough to figure out um, what was going on, but I wasn't old, old enough to, to understand why and where we're all stake! I didn't know I was going to be separated from my family for so many years, and I was going to be able—I wasn't going to be able to go back to my country to Mexico.
0: And Isaac, how long did it take you to cross the border? And walk us through, because a lot of people have a vague understanding of what the border crossing is like, but um, not many really know it in great detail—the um, challenges, the dangers, the fears—and for so for a 13-year-old. Um, Talk to us about what your journey was like trying to make it to the U.S. side of the border.
1: Uh, the entire process from the moment I left my home in Puebla, Mexican Puebla, uh, to the moment that I arrived to New Haven, Connecticut to reunite out with my mother, uh, was a process about two and a half weeks. Uh, and I remember pretty well like it was yesterday because it was during the month of my birthday. And when I first... Uh, to feed on the United States and be close to my mother. The next day was my birthday, uh, I turned 14 years old on that day. Um, it was hard. Um, we got robbed on the first time that we tried. Our money was taken away. Um, some of the women that were with us, they were assaulted. And uh, it was traumatizing at first, but uh, all that I kept my mind and that kept me going was I wanted to see my mother after so many after three years. I just wanna see my mother have her and be with her.
0: Did you think you were gonna make it to the other side, especially after the first day of women being assaulted and you being robbed?
1: I didn't know what to think at that moment. All I wanted to see was my mom. I was afraid and I remember it was it was a cold night. We were in the desert, it was really, really cold. And um one of the, the girls that were with us, she just Came close to me and just talk me. So I could just pass the night there. And I could, like I said, the only thing in my mind was to run out with my mother after so many years.
0: And tell me why it was that your mother sent for you.
1: We had nothing left back at home. Uh, the house that we have uh, was lost. Uh, we, my mother wasn't able to pay for it and we were unable to. I don't have a place to live. She, yeah, she didn't have anything to come back to.
0: And what was it like for you once you got into the United States after two and a half weeks of crossing the border? How did you find your mother?
1: She was, she looked tired. She was devastated, but at the same time, she was happy to be reunited with me once again. And then I was so happy again after not seeing her for three years. Um, it was just a completely different world, nothing what it was like back at home. And the streets were different. It was a different language. People were different. It was just my whole world turned like a 360 degree.
0: You're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So you got here, you were 13, you hadn't seen your mother for three years, you had a really, really um, treacherous journey when you made it here. You came into a country with a new language, a new culture. Um, talk to us about what it was like um, settling into the United States. You came to Connecticut, and you went to school where?
1: I went to school in, in Handem, um for high school. It uh, was with LA Whitney. And it it was hard at first. Uh, Like I said, it was a new language, trying to learn the new language, the new culture, Um, trying to be accepted and and integrate to the community, to to the new customs, right? Uh, During high school, I was was bullied at first, Um, not only because I didn't know the language, but also because I was trying to adapt to the new way of life, right? And it, it was a tough journey.
0: And did you, um, how did you deal with, with being undocumented? Did that come up a lot um, as you were settling into the United States? What kind of barriers did you have, if any, knowing that you were in this country and you were undocumented?
1: Um, at first, I didn't uh, I didn't learn about my, my status you know, and all the implications of being undocumented until it was time to graduate from high school. Um, When I went to talk to my guidance counselor, uh, it was always my dream to go to college. Um, So I went to talk to my guidance counselor when I was uh, a senior and possibilities on applying for for colleges and getting a scholarship or getting financial aid. That's when I realized what really means to be undocumented, not being able to qualify for financial aid or not even being able to go to to college. Uh, I was turned down. All of a sudden, I feel like all the doors were being close to me. I felt like I had no future anymore. And my dreams of going to college and getting an education, they were gone.
0: And so what did you
1: do? I did not give up. I uh, definitely reached out to different uh, non-profit organizations, grassroots organizations within the community in New Haven. And um, I, w- I was able to, to find some good news. Uh, I was able to apply to a uh, community college. Uh, At the moment, I was still paying out-of-state tuition, Um, regardless, I did not give up, I got a part-time job and a full-time job in order to take one or two classes uh, per semester, because I was paying twice as much as a a resident, because I was still paying state tuition. Until 2011, when in Connecticut it was finally approved to be in state tuition, if you had to graduate from high school, regardless of your immigration status. And what did you
0: graduate from Gateway with?
1: I graduated from Gateway. Uh, it took me about four and a half years to get my associate's degree, uh, but I graduated with a, um, an associate of engineering, computer engineering.
0: And what year was that?
1: That was in 2015.
0: Okay. So talk to me about, um, so you graduated from uh, Gateway three years after DACA. Talk to me a little bit about um, what your life, was like once DACA was announced, how did you hear about it? Um, what, what was different for you after the announcement of DACA?
1: Well, after the announcement of DACA, um, I was happy. I, I remember when I first heard the news about this, I cried. Where were you? I cried because I, I remember I, wasn't, I was just getting back to work um, I was in my break and I was just getting back to work because I went home for lunch and then I uh, heard the news. And then all the way, on, the, on the way back, um, I was listening to the radio and I was listening to the news. Once I got to work, I was watching TV. I turned on the TV and I was watching the news. And um, I remember I started crying and I was happy because I, I realized that finally I was going to be able to get a, a better job, to get a license, to drive a license to go to my school, which was far away. And I didn't have to take a and it would take me long, you know twice as long. And I finally realized that I I have hope to continue my, my education. Not only as far as an associate degree, but continue and, and get my undergraduate. My
0: uh, and tell me a little bit about um the difference between being undocumented and then the difference between um applying for DACA and Um, having the freedoms that you didn't have before. So walk us through what it was like. So you applied for, you filled out the paperwork, you submitted it to the federal government, and then what happened?
1: So there's a big difference between being completely undocumented and having DACA. DACA gave me the opportunity of coming out of the shadows, basically not being afraid anymore when I was driving to work because I, I had to be honest. I was driving without having a license. I was driving without having a, a federal identification. So I was risking my life every day of being stopped by police and maybe end up being deported for not having the proper identification, for not having a, a license. So definitely having DACA me the protection and the confidence to not being afraid anymore.
0: And what did you do once you finished Gateway? Talk to us about how your future changed.
1: After I finished Gateway, I still financial was, um, was a barrier. In the financial situation, it was a barrier. Even though I had that I canal, I still did not qualify for financial aid or for any, any type of scholarships within the federal government. So until I finally came across um, a scholarship, the DREAM, the U.S. scholarship, and I applied. And, um,
0: and that, tell us a little bit and, about uh, that scholarship.
1: Yeah, it's a full-ride scholarship that it was um, It was created for students that have DACA, and it's one of the... It's, it's the biggest scholarship, and I had a full-ride scholarship for four years. The only problem was... Well, I wouldn't say a problem. The only difference is that the only colleges that were partners with the scholarship, the closest ones were in CUNY, in New York. So, once again, I had to take a tough decision. And um, I decided to quit everything again. I quit my job, uh, left my house back in Connecticut to support of my mother and my family, and I moved to New York to continue my education uh, at the City University in New York and take advantage of this scholarship that was paid and in full.
0: And have you graduated?
1: I just graduated. Uh, actually, just yesterday morning I got an email saying that uh, I completed all my credits and the day working on printing out my diploma. I was pretty happy yesterday morning when I first got this email.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, You're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So, Isaac, I want to walk back to um, 2016, um and i want to talk a little bit about the elections um were you worried in 2016 when um trump was uh, nominated as the republican candidate for president for the republican party
1: when, when president trump was first nominated as then uh, the candidate for the Republican Party. Uh, at first, I was not worried because um, his campaign was not clear until the moment he started campaigning. That's when we first started worrying because we saw that his campaign was being anti-immigrant, and he came from a racist background. That's when we started to worry.
0: Did you feel? I, yeah, but let me just ask you about during the campaign. Did did you at all experience anti-immigrant sentiment?
1: Yes, uh, every time he speak and every time he was on TV saying uh, that that he was going to make America great and go back to the way it was before. And just looking at the history of America before, there was laws that were segregation. There was law that would prohibit immigrants from coming to, to this country. So he, he was trying to make America the way it was before. Mm -hmm. that's what he was heading to. That's what he wanted to. That's what he meant. And that's actually what he's been doing.
0: And so you were a little bit worried in 2016. And walk us through the night of the election. So, you know, this is a man who spent a lot of time while he was campaigning, uh, talking um, about immigrants in the worst possible way, particularly immigrants from your home country, uh, Mexico calling them rapists and criminals. And um, as the campaign wore on, his anti-immigrant hysteria um, got worse. And then tell me about the night of the elections, what it was like for you.
1: The night of the elections, it, it, was, it was really hard. It was really hard to watch. And um, felt like a nightmare was coming true. It's so, like seeing your worst nightmare becoming a reality. And that's what happened. And uh, after the results came out, probably like five to ten minutes after, I remember I my remember mom calling me in tears, afraid, saying that she was afraid and that she didn't know what was going to happen, telling me to be careful, to not go outside. And she was really afraid but she was in tears, and that broke my heart. And that, uh, that really made me think about what's going to happen with not only my future, the future of my mother, the, the future of all the thousands, and millions of immigrants in this country. That now they started to be afraid because we have a president that has the anti-immigrant agenda.
0: And did you think anything was going to happen to your status as a a documented young person
1: at that precise moment? I wasn't sure about anything, but the way the campaign was run, yeah. it was, I was certainly afraid that something was going to happen.
0: And nothing happened at the beginning. So like I said earlier, this is a man who uh, moved forward as president, really administering and implementing a very, very extreme anti-immigrant agenda. But he seemed to toe the line and and, um, back off when it came to young people. Um, And I remember uh, documented youth feeling like they were at least safe for now. Um, because of what he promised and his assurances that people were going to be proud with what he did, um, tell me what um, what it was like for you in September. I believe it was September the fifth when the Attorney General announced was that DACA was going to re- be repealed. Did you expect that at that point in time? Were there rumors? Were there threats? Or was this uh, as surprising as the uh, as the announcement that DACA was granted in the first place?
1: At that moment, um I was in Washington DC, uh I spent the entire week in DC, uh, doing a hunger strike for four days with another twenty seven um dreamers and, and allies, um, doing a hunger strike, demanding Congressman, the president not to not, not to resent DACA. So being in the ground um holding the fight, I heard the rumors. There was rumors that it was gonna happen. So in a way the ones were the ones that were there in the ground were somehow prepared for this to happen i was in a way a little prepared i was expecting something like this to happen and uh i know i know not something is not the best thing to do but i tend to like expect the worst in order to be ready for it and to take action on what's next the ones i found out about DACA being resented, still regardless of of the rumors regardless of consciously and, and being prepared, it still hit me hard because mm-hmm. I know it's not only just about me, but all the 800,000 that were affected. And they took the the news pretty bad, and I was in that environment where we were in front of the White House when the when the news came out, and seeing all of these people in front of the White House, many crying inside, being on the phone with their families, trying to figure out what to do, what's next.
0: And you have, in addition to going to school since September, you've become one of the leading um, DACA advocates, um, both in New York and in Washington, D.C. Tell me what you've done and tell me what drives you.
1: When I, when I moved to New York, um, I found this group uh, within the City University of New York known as Community Dreamers um and i can move into a new city no knowing anyone i found a family within this organization i found friends family now and then and, and it just got to my heart that i, I needed to give back to my community and i needed to help out my community immigrant community students within the city university of new york because so they give me so much and they give me a guide on how to navigate not only the system. But I'll navigate the system as an undocumented student or SEDACA recipient, which is a lot different and it's a lot harder. We go through so many obstacles. But that, that's what drives me every day to continue being an advocate and continue being a leader. Because for what people did to me, what they did for me, I want to get back to my community and do the same.
0: And you've been fighting for what? So DACA's been rescinded, and what's the fight been um, focused on in Congress? Oh, well, I just gave it away. What's been the fight focused on in Washington, D.C.? So
1: what we've been fighting so far in, in Washington, D.C., it's for a dream act, for a clean dream act. That's what we want. We want a dream act. We want something permanent. And what is because the clean now, dream?
0: Explain to me what the Clean Dream Act is.
1: So a clean dream act is, so a dream act is a legislation that will protect black um, recipients and some others. That does not, it's not attached to any border enforcement, it does not include funding from the wall, it's just a bill that only protects the family, it does not compromise our immigrants and immigrant community.
0: And what have Dreamers been doing to fight for the passage of laws to protect DACA youth?
1: This past um, week and a half, uh, I was in Washington, D.C., we visited different offices of senators and then congressmen I advocated in telling them to take conscience, to see how many thousands and thousands of lives are being affected. If a legislation, a permanent legislation that will protect them, the um, you, Is not passed because every day that passes without DACA, people keep losing their status. 122 young people lose their status.
0: And 17,000 to date have lost their status. So far, yes. And we had a government shutdown a few days ago. Um, What's next? And the government is back up and running. And we heard yesterday that President Trump promised that we were going to see something good happen once again for dreamers. Um, What do you think is going to happen next? And what are you going to continue to fight for?
1: My this point is it's really unpredictable to to figure out what's gonna happen next. Uh, as the president keeps changing his mind every five minutes, every five minutes uh he comes on T V, he makes a different announcement and the next day um the Republicans are doing something different. But um no matter what's gonna happen, we're gonna keep I'm gonna keep fighting, I'm gonna keep coming back to D C fighting at a local level here in New York and until we get a treatment, until we get something permanent. Because they cannot keep playing with their lives this place, And it's our future. It's our life. This, I consider this my home. This is my country now. I've been here for more than my, half of my life. And this is where I'm planning to make a life.
0: And if the worst thing happened, if uh, we don't have DREAM Act legislation, and if um, Trump decides to not do anything to change the status of Documented, uh young people, and eventually the 800,000 people who are now protected lose their status. What do you think is going to happen?
1: Our, our communities are going to be afraid again. They're still afraid. Um, well, I don't think we're going to give up. So far, we have so much support, and we want, I invite everyone that is listening to know be afraid, do not lose momentum. Now we have the support. We cannot go back into the shadows. We trust the government. We trust all representatives to support us. We wanna keep fighting until we get something done. Cause we must not keep on. We, we must not do what happened 10 years ago. And exactly what happened after we got DACA. We got DACA and then we went back and sit down and felt comfortable. But we realized that DACA was not something permanent we got confident, we got comfortable. We must not do that anymore. We must keep fighting, keep going back to to their offices, doing rallies, everything that takes to get what we need, to get what we want.
0: You're listening to Kika's Corner on WNHH, New Haven's Home for Community Radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. So Isaac, 87% of Americans support dream act legislation. They support a path to citizenship for people like you. Um and there's a lot of support in New Haven in this community for uh, the immigrant community and for uh young uh young documented folks. Tell us what it is that people in this community could and should be doing to make sure that um, we have legislation that passes um, before the March 5th deadline when DACA officially ends?
1: What the community should be doing right now, if they're not able, I know some people are afraid to show up at rallies. I know some people are afraid to go to, or they don't have the means to go to Washington, D.C. At least do it luckily. If there's some uh, rally going on or protest in your town, I ask them to to show up. If they cannot do that, they can always grab the phone and call Congress, call the congressman, the representatives, and tell them to support the DREAM Act. That's something they can do, because I know I get it. Some people are afraid to go on the street and then do protests, because everything has been going on with deportation. But there's other ways. It's easier just dial in a number and call Congress and tell your representative to support DACA, to support the DREAM Act.
0: What about non immigrants, people who have status in this country? What do you think they should be doing?
1: The same thing. Because the easiest way to do this is for strongest allies are the ones that have the power to to call the congressmen as constituents, as, as residents, as citizens. And do not do not forget that in November it's coming. November is coming. And that's when we have to take the power to, to the polls. They had the power or allies have the power to change this, to vote for what's right, to stay on the right side of history and to help us.
0: Talk to me a little bit. You are um, not just active in the immigrant rights community um, uh, around the fight for DREAM Act legislation, but you've also been active in New Haven and in Connecticut um, uh, fighting for undocumented immigrants. Tell me a little bit about What has changed for the undocumented community in um, Connecticut in particular uh, since the election of Trump?
1: When documenting women in Connecticut, striving, thriving. You see more young people getting better jobs, being helping each other in the community. Every time I go back to visit my mother and I spend some time there, I get to see friends that at first they were working in the kitchens, they were cleaning bathrooms, they were doing this thing, now they have a, a better job. Now they work in offices. Now they have a driver's license. Now they have better means to protect their family and also to give back to the community. So they have helped a lot. Not only that but it has helped them out a lot with not only get a better job, but also in ways to support and to give back to the community. I have some friends that now they go when they have the free time, because now they have more free time than before. Because before they used to have not only one job, but they have one full time, two part times. They barely have time to spend with the family. Now they're able to have just one job. They get better pay, and the free time. Now some of them even donate in this free time to volunteering, and giving back to the community.
0: And you, and and here you're referring to people who have DACA status now. Um, What I want to pivot to is how life has changed for, so two things. One is life would drastically change for all of these people that you're talking about, unless we fight for DREAM Act legislation, they would go back to the lives they had before. Like you earlier said, they would go back into the shadows. But I want you to talk to me about how life has changed already for people who don't have DACA, who are undocumented since... Um, this new administration came into power. What have you noticed that has changed?
1: As yes, we get the new administration, people that do not have DACA, do not have any type of protection. They're afraid. They're afraid. They're afraid of coming out. They're afraid sometimes to even go to the job. Cause they don't know what's going to happen, but they have to do it regardless. Cause it means to maintain their family. And and it's understandable to, to feel afraid because everything you, you turn. Every time you turn, I turn on the TV, I see someone being deported, someone being detained. And then that's, that's more than a reason to not be to being afraid and not being, not wanting to go outside and, and go, to, go to work or just as simple as going to the corner store. But they must continue with their life. and that's not a way of living. that's not a way of living. Living in fear, that's not the way to live, and it's not fair for a community, not fair for a family.
0: And talk to me a little bit about what is in you, in in the future for you. What are what are your dreams? Um, what will what are you hoping your life will be like five years from now? And what are you hoping happens eventually with? Uh, with DACA and with the 800,000 other young people like you?
1: We're still hopeful. Um, regardless of what happened, I'm not going to give up on my dreams.
0: And what are your um, dreams?
1: My dreams, by now, I just graduated. I have a bachelor's degree on computer information technology. Um, I had always dreamed of, of being a computer technician and, and becoming an engineer. So far, I'm working for the Department of Education in New York. I'm an IT specialist, and and I would like to become a manager, a district manager for for networking. I really like working with computers. I really like working with the network system. It's something that I feel passionate about, and I do see myself in the future continuing my career within this field.
0: You're listening to Kika's Quota on WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio, broadcast at 103.5 FM and live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Isaac, if you um, had to say something to our president, uh, what would it be?
1: If I have something to the president, it would be just to take conscience.
0: To what? I'm sorry, could you repeat that?
1: Stay conscious. Okay. Be aware of how many lives are being affected. Look at your humane side and realize that this country was built by immigrants. And immigrants are what makes this country better.
0: Thank you. And I am going to... Um wrap up the show the way that i usually do and that is by asking you um a series of questions the first is uh do you have any new haven heroes or sheroes and if so who are they are you there hello hi Did you, Can you repeat the question? Yes. Do you have any New Haven heroes or heroes, And if so, who are they?
1: So my first hero is my mother. She was a fierce advocate uh, for the immigrants' rights um, when she was able to go out and, and be there at rallies and, and protest. She's one of my heroes. Um, also, you, Kika, you're also my, my hero from New Haven. You've been a fierce advocate for the community since I met you. And uh, one of my heroes it would be John Lugo. Yeah. He's a uh, leader of the community, John haider Lugo. And uh, he leads a grassroots organization known as ULA.
0: What is your favorite New Haven neighborhood and why?
1: Um, it would be New Haven, downtown, that area. Not because it has a great history. But uh, the congregation of immigrants uh, in New Haven, it's, it's big. And... Um, I remember I was there when it was one of the first ones to give IDs to to immigrants, to undocumented immigrants, and I felt like it was, we would feel welcome. I felt welcome when I first uh, arrived to New Haven. That's why.
0: If you could pick a superhero power, what would that be?
1: Uh, we fly. I would be fly. I would like to, to fly.
0: Mm. And what is your favorite New Haven pizza? Is it pizza from Sally's, Pepe's, or Modern? Uh, Pepe's. Ah, okay. Thank you for joining us on uh, Kika's Corner, Isaac. Um, Thank you for being today's guest, and I want to thank everybody who's listening uh, to us today. And again, uh, for those of you who want to support the fight that Isaac and others are engaging in to protect 800,000 young people who've been giving so much back to this community, please make sure that you call your member of Congress and ask to make sure that DREAM Act legislation uh, passes. Uh, Until the next time, here is wishing you justice, solidarity, and many, many days of sunshine. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me,
0: Kika. Thank you, Isaac.